Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ben. What's new? Well, you and I just had our first big IRL event in a long time. We were down in New York City for the Flow State Conference, and something that came up a lot, as it usually does, was cloud technology. We heard a lot about AWS and Azure and GCP. We had a lot of clients from that space who are users of Stack Overflow for Teams. Mm -hmm. And luckily today, we get to learn a little bit more about that. We have a great guest today. Welcome to the show, Drew Fearman, Chief Cloud Strategist at Pluralsight. Drew, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Ben. Thank you very much, Ryan. It's it's fun to be back in some uh, real life events these days. It's pretty, pretty energizing. Yeah, it was energizing. I have to say, I met some startup people. I met some folks who had just recently come over from other countries to try working in New York. And yeah, first time I'd done that in two and a half years. So it was cool. Oh, fantastic. So Drew, the first thing we always do on the podcast, you know, to the degree that you're comfortable, why don't you date yourself a little and tell us how'd you get into this world of software and technology? What was the first time you touched a line of code or a computer and and what brought you kind of to where you are today? Oh, well, I am going to date myself, you know, back with Al Gore inventing the internet kind of stuff. Nice. You worked on the pipes. Mm-hmm. So uh, actually my first computer, I have very fond memories of it. A Timex Sinclair, a little membrane based keyboard, you little uh, piggyback some memory on the back. Whoa. So that was my uh, seventh or eighth grade science fair project. Some lines of basic to see my name scrolling across this little six inch black and white uh, monitor. Very cool. So that was, uh, you know, I kind of got hooked there. I was like, wow, you can, you can tell something else what to do versus my sister's telling me what to do all the time. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was very uh, empowering, you know, moved over to a uh, TRS-80 and started doing a little bit more, trying to code some games or different things like that, you know. So really just kind of became pretty comfortable with the idea of computers early on. My mom had a, her own business and I tried to do some bookkeeping on it and things like that, you know, sort of the early days of spreadsheets. And uh, yeah, I didn't really think too much about it, to be honest with you, going in high school. I mean, being a young boy, I don't think many of us think too much, to be honest with you. So uh, it wasn't until I was in college, I was like, hey, you know, this is something that I know pretty well, and I, I could probably make a career out of it, and became a lab manager at the, at the local you know, student computing lab and was helping other students out. It's actually a, um, an Apple student representative for, for the campus. Nice. So I was a big, big into Mac. What generation of Mac was that? What, 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 what Apple products were you uh, bringing to students at the time? Oh, man. Well, back in the day, it was like the Mac Classic kind of started off, yeah. you know, the, the whole thing and being able to carry that thing around by the handle. The briefcase computer. Love it. I kind of look at the Macs probably like I do at cloud computing, to be honest with you, because when folks came into the computer lab looking to write papers, you know, they had the choice of going to a Windows system that was like hit F1. It wasn't even Windows, right? It was just sort of the, the early Microsoft, of you know, hit F1 for this, F2 for that, you know, kind of stuff to get to Word. Right. Or there was the Mac interface. And the goal wasn't to learn how to use a computer, right? The goal was to write a paper. So I would generally move people over to, you know, using the Mac. And I think that there's a lot to be said around that and cloud computing. I mean, the goal isn't cloud computing. The goal is to drive outcomes, whether it's, you know, your individual outcomes or business outcomes. And that certainly makes things a lot easier. Very cool. Yeah, I made a career of it. You know, got into actually uh, systems engineering at a satellite engineering company. Did some pretty cool things there with Hughes Aircraft Company. Got really familiar with Unix, fell in love with Unix, to be honest with you. There's so many things that I learned as part of that stint. 
and joined a startup called Capital One uh, back in the day. <laughs> they just spun off from a bank called Signet and just sort of worked my way through the technology stack into, into cloud computing. I have so many questions I want to ask. Like, did you ever work on the Spruce Goose? Was that part of your time at Hughes? But, uh. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what? Uh, there, there was a Hughes aircraft. That was, that was definitely an interesting place. But it was, you know, what's so fascinating is in those days, you know, we're really solving the same problems that we're, we're trying to solve today. In the case of, of Hughes Aircraft Company, right, you had all these different satellites that were uh, providing a massive amount of data, no different than sort of IoT devices. Mm. So, you know, the real question was, how do you ingest that data? So you have high-speed networks that you're looking to do that. Now we, you know, edge devices and 5G or whatever. And then, you know, how do you store those? So mass storage, tape libraries and hierarchical storage management. And now, you know, you have a lot of the distributed storage. How do you access that? I mean, now we're using things like NoSQL and a whole bunch of other very, very fast ways to be able to get to that data. And, and ultimately, then how do you display that data? In our case, it was scientists or, or military personnel that were using that, that satellite data to actually make some really important decisions. Same thing today, right? All of that data, well, ultimately, you want to be able to use it for you know, outcomes. So the problem space hasn't changed, but you know, boy, has the solution space really evolved, which is, to me, some of the most interesting things that are going on these days are related to cloud computing. So let's talk about the state of uh, cloud computing today. Cloud computing has been around for a decade now, at least. Yeah, at least, yeah. Where is the space today? Well, yeah, I guess, you know, it's it's still running into the same problems, interestingly enough. I, I thought we would be a lot further along, to be honest with you. Hmm. So there is a little bit of frustration I have in terms of like, it's like, hey, it's kind of Captain Obvious in, in some ways. But I think with most things in enterprises, inertia really kind of has a stranglehold on many organizations. And you know, there's a lot of ways that we've been doing things for a very long time that becomes ingrained in, you know, you can call it culture or whatever it is that you want to, to call it. But especially in IT, where I think for so long, like I, I brought up, you know, the fact that I worked in, in Unix, right? Well, this whole idea of pets versus cattle, I mean, Unix is like the, I named everything. I was so proud of the servers <laughs> that I named and, and the naming convention that I had for the domains. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever to be able to own, you know, a set of, of servers and in a domain and organize them and take care of them and feed them and watch them grow and have my <laughs> pictures of them up on the, the queue behind me with, you know, where all my pets were. It was the greatest thing ever, right? But you become, you identify with those platforms or those technologies, you know, even DevOps platforms or people are very much associate their identity as individuals within an organization with these technologies, you know, all of a sudden you're coming along, you're saying, Hey, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. It's as a service. Now, what matters is how you put those pieces and parts together to, to deliver outcome, which is why you've seen startups just sort of crush the space because I mean, they don't give a crap about the technology per se. Right. I mean, they're, they're really focused on leveraging the technology to build something. As a matter of fact, a cloud guru, I left capital one after 20 years and I joined a startup called a cloud guru. It was the first serverless startup. We scaled it, the first 300,000 customers with zero compute cost using a serverless. It was the very first serverless startup. Now did the founder, you know, out of the gate say, oh, I'm going to become the first serverless startup because that's a great talking point. <laughs> no, this, uh, you know, founder Sam was more interested in like, hey, how do I get this idea to market as quickly as possible and with little cost as possible so I have a longer runway to deliver value to my customers, right? 
So that mentality you're seeing, and I'm assuming, you know, uh, Ben and Ryan, you're probably seeing that when you talk to the startup world with cloud computing, a little bit more friction when it comes to enterprises. You have a little bit more change management to do, especially at the leadership ranks where, you know, it's very unsettling to see as a service come in and just sort of disrupt everything that they've been working on for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, to be honest with you. Right. I love the perspective you have on it there, which is that startups don't have some of the historical baggage. And so they feel free to experiment with some of the more cutting edge cloud stuff and then can prove that out to a point where then it becomes possible to say to other people, you can get to quite you know interesting scale here. Maybe this is valuable for enterprise adoption. What are some other good examples in your mind of folks who over the last you know five years have taken the interesting opportunities in cloud and, and run with them and now are kind of showing us the way you know, not just, as you point out, the basic lift and shift, which companies know they have to do, but it's going to take a while. But the stuff that is really, to your point, moving the industry forward. I mean, I'll just kind of go back to a little bit of you know, where I came from with Capital One. I mean, there's a little bit of the darling of the enterprises um, and, and really a beacon out there. And I really do think that they did things the right way. And that's not to say it was easy. You know, one, early on, they really started at the top down and said, this is not a technology transformation. This is a business transformation. So at this point, there's almost this like $500 billion being spent worldwide on end-user cloud computing services, right? It still only represents about 25% of overall IT budgets, but it's supposed to grow to about 65% of IT budgets by the time we hit to 2025. So it, you know, cloud is about to kind of, you know, hit that inflection point, cross the chasm. Everybody's going there. There's a lot more money being spent, but ultimately is it being spent for the right reasons. You know, this isn't like a spending on cloud for you want infrastructure as code or spending on cloud to save costs from your data centers. This is, you should be spending on cloud because you want to drive speed to market innovation for, for your customers. So they were really focused on cloud computing as a transition to this new operating model. So that, that was one. Then they were very methodical about how they went about doing it. So I spent some time, I was actually director of engineering for cloud and operations and so I actually own third-level support for our cloud uh, engineering efforts at Capital One, which meant I felt the pain firsthand when people were spelling AWS WTF. <laughs> and it was very painful when you get going. If people aren't picking up what you're throwing down, there's a lot of friction in that process, right? And I actually earned a patent at Capital One measuring our cloud adoption and maturity. I used APIs to gather the data and be able to visually display to see how much we were we were migrating, uh, how well we were migrating in terms of a well-architected framework, and then the cost structure of it. And all that did was show that we were getting our ass kicked, to be honest with you. We were spending a lot of money, um, just like these organizations um, are doing now. Um, but we weren't really getting the ROI from it, right? It was really a slow process. And I learned then what most organizations are learning now is that it had nothing to do with technology, right? It's all about people. So, you know, Gartner estimates that worldwide, 50% of all cloud IT migration projects are delayed up to two years simply because of the lack of skills. Mm. So if you're spending all this money, you know, people want their money back in terms of our ROI perspective. Well, who's going to do the work? So I, I realized that early on, especially the third level support became a very, you know, uh, easy way for that problem to manifest itself. And I granted folks sincerity at Capital One. We have some great, you know, really, really smart folks, a hell of a lot smarter than I am. 
you just have to unleash the greatness, right? And grant sincerity that they're trying to learn, but you have to provide them the little bit more of a strategic investment and approach to how you're going about doing that. It's not about throwing links at people. You know, culture is about creating sustainable learning communities. It's about, um, you know, creating a language. It's around creating artifacts associated with that. So I ended up pivoting to Dean of Cloud Computing at Capital One and drove a wide scale talent transformation, learned a lot from that, have a lot of scars from that. <laughs> uh, but the goal was to accelerate, you know, people through that trough of despair that you're inevitably going to run into. So long story short, they had a massive talent transformation in terms of unleashing the greatness of, of the individuals and kind of led the way. And this past year, Capital One shut down its, its uh, last private data center. Mm. They're 100% in the public cloud. Wow. Right. So they don't have a bunch of Sys admins, you know, storage admins, uh, security admins, uh, database admins that are running around in data centers like I did for years doing that undifferentiated heavy lifting. Right. They're really focused on more customer value and, and using those levels of abstraction that cloud services provide to, to deliver value. I liked a few of the things you mentioned there, Drew, that kind of relate back to some of the ways we've been trying to understand Stack Overflow for teams. And one of the things we talk about is like communities of, of practice and figuring out a way for folks internally to be able to teach each other. And like you mentioned, you can't just drop somebody a link and say, you know, go figure this out. Much better to understand who the subject matter expert is within your organization to be able to find what they tried and failed and learned from. And then hopefully to, you know, get to reuse that knowledge without taking up too much of their time. So Dean makes a lot of sense in that context. You know, you need a learning community within your organization. Yeah, you got to connect skills to outcomes. And it's all about people. I mean, in the state of cloud that, you know, Pluralsight just published is showing that, you know, look, 75% of, of all leaders are wanting to build new products and services in the cloud. Right. Well, I'm kind of wondering, well, what's the deal with the other 25%, to be honest with you? Like, you know, <laughs> but only 8% of the technologists have the, what the, you know, we would consider extensive experience in terms of the survey results to actually work with cloud related tools. So, you know, it's no wonder you have these two years of delays going on because that's a pretty big gap. And again, you, you have to create communities of practice. And this, this concept of culture, I think is, is very powerful to be able to drive a sustainable transition. I wonder how many of these, you know, two-year delays are because somebody's like, all right, we need to get to the cloud, figure it out, engineering team. And I wonder if you think there's there's a more sort of intentional way people can approach that instead of just being like signing up for AWS and then figuring out how to get there. Yeah, 100%. That's a great question, Ryan. I would agree wholeheartedly that that's exactly what I'm seeing. It's a little bit more it's not as necessarily strategic as, as I would hope, you know, to see it. I, I really, generally, when I work with organizations, I classify their approach in, in three buckets, tactical, strategic, and transformational. And, you know, at some level, you have to kind of do the, you know, crawl before you walk and run. So that, that's understanding when you're, when you first are starting off and innovating and really kind of thinking about things, it's going to be a feel a little bit more, you know, tactical, to be honest with you, right? I will say that there's enough folks that have, earned the scars of early cloud adoption to accelerate pretty quickly through that tactical stage and kind of, you know, there's enough hardened patterns right now, you know, you should be leveraging. So in general, I do think at the top of the house, there's generally a pretty clear, why are we doing this and where are we going? Mm -hmm. I mean, you go to CIO magazine, you know, and, and, and everybody's, you know, talking about the why of digital transformation and where are we going as cloud, right? Then it usually comes down to Okay, there's a program team that's figuring out, like that's being said, you're chartered and saying, 
well, go figure out how to do this. And then that's, they're like, well, how the hell are we going to do this? Right. So that's sort of the next layer down. And that's where I spent a lot of my time was like, well, how the hell are we going to do this? So when you think about cloud, it's not just the technology, it's security, the compliance, the best practices, the architecture, the consumption model for the developers, the tools, you know, all those sorts of things that you need to be able to pull together to create this tip of the spear. So that's the first, you know, do not pass go and collect $200 without this concept of a cloud center of excellence, right? And I, I think a lot of that is is just easier on a single server. It's hard to move away from that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you really need to establish this program sort of layer. And they're also responsible for figuring out, because they're being asked every day, well, are we there yet? So they have to provide some level of measurement and return on that ROI. But I think that that's where the next step comes in, which is who the hell is going to do the work, right? And you, have, you get in this echo chamber of these experts within the you know, ivory tower of a cloud center of excellence. And you have to be able to transition a cloud center of excellence to a cloud center of enablement. Ultimately, that group needs to become the dumbest organization in the enterprise and unleash, you know, the you know, move from 50 people that get it to 5,000 people that get it and ultimately curate from what they're doing versus kind of dictating how to do it. So that takes a lot of thought within the enterprise level to, to, to think about a little bit more programmatically. Um, we're seeing more and more organizations do that. Most often, though, they're kind of disconnecting the skills from the technology program. And that's really an anti-pattern, right? As part of building your cloud program office, you really need to integrate the concept of skills development within it, because ultimately, you know, you're going to be learning like AWS, you know, out of the box, but you also want to learn how to apply AWS to your business problem. So it becomes a little bit more integrated versus than just sort of outsourcing it to an HR department that cares more about, you know, LMS integration or, you know, reporting on number of hours trained, right? That's not the goal, right? The goal is to be able to operate in this new, this new paradigm. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of like what it is you do at Pluralsight and for folks who are listening, whether they're individuals who need to work on a cloud, you know, transition project or want to bone up on, you know, some new skills or the organizations, like you said, who are struggling with some of this. What is it you do at Pluralsight and, and in what ways can folks learn from your organization? You know, what opportunities are available for them to upscale on the cloud side? You know, as you can tell, I have a little bit of passion around this topic. <laughs> and that carries over, you know, from my, my prior work at Capital One, where I really felt that individuals that were part of our data center and, and legacy, you know, quote unquote, you know, technology stacks, they have the talent, you know, it's just being able to provide them the, the bridge to get there. So I wish I had spent more time at Capital One migrating talent to the cloud as we were migrating applications to the cloud. You know, I joined A Cloud Guru in the early stages, and that was our mission to teach the world to cloud. We want to democratize education and make, you know, cloud computing and the concepts of cloud computing really a commodity, right? So that everybody can be able to contribute to uh, whether it's a startup or an enterprise or your own idea, whatever it happens to be. We just, we just knew that that's really where, where things were going. And the more people that knew cloud, the more opportunities individuals would have to be able to contribute and, and probably level up their own career and their own opportunities along the way. So A Cloud Guru's uh, on-demand uh, cloud-based training. It does everything from certifications to hands-on experiential learning to deep dives on all the different cloud services, you know, Azure and GCP and AWS and, and even goes into cloud adjacent stuff, you know, Kubernetes and then things like Python, whole bunch of really cool instructors and courses. 
uh, to be able to really guide you through there. And we have a pretty strong cloud community of, of, of cloud gurus that are consuming those courses as well. The Pluralsight acquisition is pretty exciting. So Pluralsight is a much broader set of digital transformation courses, so well beyond cloud. So if you almost look like a T-shaped individual, you know, you probably heard about, you know, developers are looking to be T-shaped, broad technology skills at the top horizontally from left to right, and then go into some depth in a particular topic like cloud. Pluralsight has that really broad technology training, on-demand training. They actually have instructor-led training. They have advisory services, much, much larger organization. And A-Cloud Guru is being integrated to provide the depth on cloud. So our goal is really to be able to provide individuals the right training to be able to improve their skills, right? To uh, help with not only achieve outcomes in organizations, but People want better careers, you know, they want better pay and skills is a great way to do that. So our goal is to make it very clear to them and very efficient. Hey, here's some of the skills that are valuable. Here's how you get those skills. Here's the fast pass to get those skills. Here's some ways to get some credentials or certifications. So you have some authenticity and credibility and validation when you go in and talk to folks. And more importantly, you know, the labs, the hands-on sandbox environments, because, you know, certs by themselves are just certs, right? We'll talk about maybe this idea of cloud literacy, like I know the language, but cloud fluency, being able to operate in that language and, and build something. Now you're cooking with gas, right? That's the goal. So, and that's our goal, really to democratize uh, skills uh, development, make it accessible, uh, help organizations get to the next level. And certainly it's all about individuals putting in the work and the time to, to make it happen. So if, if somebody is, you know, staring down a big cloud trans, transformation project, what do they need to learn first? Yeah, I think I'm going to just talk a little bit about the cloud literacy. There is a paradigm shift that is going on. And it, you know, Interestingly enough, we found in our, our state of cloud report, it takes about three to six months longer to learn cloud than other you know, legacy technologies. And so you, know, you kind of like, well, double click on that. Well, why? It's a paradigm shift. I mean, people talk about this mindset shift and different ways of thinking. Cloud is different. You know, this concept of infrastructure as code, right? I'm, no, I'm just literally coding my server in there. I'm coding my security. I'm you know, coding my compliance in there in Terraform or, or CloudFormation or whatever. And it's ephemeral. The idea, it can, it's like a light switch, you know? I could just turn it off and when I'm not using it and then turn it back on when I need it. That's how it should be. Right, uh, not just from a cost perspective, but it's infrastructure as code. You know, you want to go ahead and put it in your Git repo and, and be able to to leverage it later and, and use the right tools for change management to be able to to update that and redeploy it. It's a different way of thinking, and it requires developers to become more systems oriented, which is why you hear more emphasis on solution architects that understand a little bit more of the holistic approach in terms of developer and operations, and in some cases, security as well. So it's kind of like the amalgamation of DevSecOps, right, which is kind of, which is happening uh, these days. But the very first starting point is this concept, I would say, of cloud literacy. I'll give you an example. When I was at Capital One and we were doing, like, we had three applications that we selected to move into the cloud when we first started. We had a few war rooms set up with, you know, full stack teams in there, right? Uh, And everybody was working to move those applications from where they were to the cloud and trying to do it in a cloud native way. We were all figuring that out at the time. 
Well, you know, if we said in that room, oh, look, we need to spin up a VPC with an IGW, with EC2 and EBS, and we'll front end it with an ELB and use, you know, RDS. <laughs> you lost me. <laughs> well, if, you know, if, if, at the end of the day, if you didn't know what I said, right. we don't need translators. That's just creating friction. We need people that can speak cloud. And if it, really all I asked for was, hey, I just need a private data center with a server and storage and, and, and database. I mean, that's pretty much it. So there's just this language barrier that exists. I mean, AWS doesn't make it easier with their naming convention. But, you know, at the end of the day, there is a language that is spoken there. So the very, very, very first step is to be able to go in and understand that language, right? It's like any other culture. You know, if you want to participate, you want a seat at the table, you want to order a beer when you're at Oktoberfest in Germany, Ein Bier bitte, right? You know, that's literacy. Fluency is actually your ability to get the beer. And, uh, and be able to interact in that language. So look, people can say all they want about certifications, but these cloud certifications do have some inherent value to them in the marketplace. They're not the easiest to get. And so they do have a little bit of a litmus test and, and, and value. I think the, the, the cloud providers are doing a very good job with the certifications. The AWS cloud practitioner certification is, is like the beginning one for AWS. It's almost like the GED of cloud. That is a great starting point for anybody just to go in and spend about a month, just a few hours a week, kind of going through the course, use a lab to kind of break through the console to actually experience, oh, I'm going to build a website on S3, you know, and kind of like, oh, hey, I did that in 10 minutes. Like, wow, that's, you know, that's pretty interesting. And so you get a little taste of it and you have a little bit of that value. That's the starting point. Ideally, you want to go to the solutions architect, the associate level certifications. That's like the liberal arts degree of cloud computing. Okay. That's like understanding enough liberal arts about the, you know, the sciences, the religion, the humanities. That's the same way of the, the liberal arts of the compute, the storage, the network of, of, of cloud computing with the goal that once you get that certification, you know, Ben and Ryan, I, I would consider you an expert mm. once you got that associate level certification. Now, there's a lot of people on the phone that are calling BS on me when I say that, right? But here, here's the thing. <laughs> An expert is when you know how much you don't know. That's the goal of, of getting that, uh, that, that associate level certification in cloud. Because right now you have too many hazards out there of people that think they know more than they know when it comes to cloud. And not mm -hmm. only are they a hazard to themselves, but ultimately their team and their customers. When you get that associate level certification, just like a liberal arts degree, you know, I would consider you woke on the cloud, right? I mean, now you have uh, that level of expertise where you can consume the thousand changes that are going on on a yearly basis because you have that context or that framework to consume the content. So that's really, I would say, the key way to really get your foot in the door with that. Get the basic certification and then go and build something. You know, build a resume out there on, on the cloud or go build some fun little project and, and experiment. And that's, that's a great way to get started. Terrific. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. We want to make sure to shout out a member of the community who came on and asked a question or provided an answer, and that way help to spread a little bit of knowledge around the community. So today, a great question badge to Logan Bessaker. This question was given a score of 100 or more. How do you cache an image in JavaScript? Well, that question has helped 170 thousand people so good question and thanks for spreading some knowledge 
I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like what you hear, leave us a rating and a review. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. If you want to check out the blog, it's stackoverflow.blog. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at rthordonovan. I'm Drew Fearmit. I'm Chief Cloud Strategist at Pluralsight. You could find me on Twitter at, at Drew Fearmit or on LinkedIn. You could also uh, hit us up at pluralsight.com, which is your Cloud Guru headquarters. And thank you very much, Ryan and Ben, for allowing me to join the community today. Appreciate it.